Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, I have an announcement first uh, for those of you who may be visiting, for those who are watching online. I'm Steve Countryman. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, The announcement is that two weeks from today, two weeks from today, we have what we call Friends Sunday. That morning at nine o'clock, we have what we call Elder Breakfast, where the elders will be baking breakfast, pancakes, sausage, some other things for you. So instead of Bible class, we'll have a time of fellowship together, fellowship hall, and we'll serve you breakfast at nine. And then at 10, we're calling it Friends Sunday. So we started this last year. We're asking that you come and we're asking that you invite a friend, invite a neighbor. Uh, So we would love to have you here two weeks from today. You'll hear more about it, but we want you to be thinking about that and thinking about who am I going to invite? One of my classmates, one of my coworkers, my neighbor down the street, my neighbor next door. Friends Sunday, two weeks from today. We are in this series, Red Flags. Patrick started two weeks ago, and he talked about how the red flag, you know, he laid it out real well because the red flags we're talking about are not things that we see in other people. They are things that are in our hearts that keep us from having the kind of relationship with other people that God intends. Those are the red flags that we're talking about. And the one Patrick talked about two weeks ago was that sometimes some people are just hard to get along with. And people are people, and we may, you know, but don't let that keep us from having and building a relationship and getting to know one another. Uh, Last week, uh, Presley talked about the red flag of awkwardness, that initial awkwardness it is when you don't know somebody or maybe you don't know them well, how you start a conversation, how you start a relationship there. Don't let those red flags keep you from having a close, intimate relationship with brothers and sisters as God intends. And today, the red flag that I was assigned is busyness. Okay, I know that some of you are thinking, eh, I don't know if that's a red flag. So uh, we'll talk about that. Um, We're too busy, we're too stressed, and I believe that we have chosen that path. Uh, when Tina and I were training to go to Thailand, we had this team, four couples, we're training in St. Louis, uh, we're preparing to go to Thailand uh, as missionaries, and two of the summers that we had, all four couples went to Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Christian, in Abilene Texas, and there was what they had, mission seminar, and they, you know, the dorms were closed for the summer, and they would open up one of the dorms, and anybody that was interested in missions would come, and for a week or two, take classes, audit, take them for credit, whatever, enjoy time together, enjoy fellowship together, listen to the professors talk about what's going on in in the world of missions. Uh, And we went to that. And the second time we were there, the second summer we were there, one of my friends, one of my teammates, whose name will be withheld because he's innocent, uh, he decided he was going to take the class for credit. And that was really different than what we had done the week before. Because I loved the classes, went to the classes, enjoyed the lectures. Uh, it was great. But, you know, when you're sitting kind of in class most of the day, by the end of the day, I'm ready to unwind. I don't want to get down and do homework. And he had a load of homework every night. I was more the kind that was either playing wiffle ball outside the dorm 
or throwing the Frisbee inside the dorm, you know, after, after we got done with the day. So, I was about to say his name. I'm trying not to. He's studying. He's, he's, he's focused. And he is busy, and he is stressed. And I'm playing, and I'm playing with some other guys, and we're trying to get him to play. And he's getting mad. He's getting angry because he's busy, and he's stressed, and he's got to do this. And we keep pushing, and we keep pushing. I was, I was young and immature then. Today, I'm much older. <laughs> and, and so I kept pushing, and I kept pushing buttons, trying to get him to play with us, trying to get him to join us in whatever we were doing. He won't do it. Finally, I, I had an idea, and I thought, I don't know if this will work, but I'm going to try it anyway. So we're in the dorm rooms. You know, we're a couple doors down from him and his wife in their room. Now, we had these old phones in the room. And it was a phone that, like, sat on the desk, and it had this handset with a cord, you know, and it had these two little buttons that the handset pushed down, and if it pushed down, the phone would ring, and if it was up, it would give you a busy signal. You can Google it later, okay? I don't, don't have time to explain. But in each room had a phone number, and so I went to my room. I got a friend, another friend who wasn't playing with us. I got him to ask my friend about his homework and got him out of the room. I went into his room. I went to his phone. I unplugged the handset, and he had a banana on the desk, and I stuck it on top of the phone so that it would still ring. I took the handset in my room, a couple doors down, and I dialed his number. I put down the phone, and I ran to his window. And so there's about four of us or five of us crowded looking in his window to see what he would do. The phone's ringing, and these phones don't, like, go to voicemail or anything. So it's going to continue. He's sitting in a chair. He's studying. He hears the phone, and he just, you know, and he doesn't want to answer it, but it's going to ring forever if he doesn't answer it. So he gets up. He goes across the room, and he he hesitates for a split second when he sees the banana. But it rings again, and he picks it up, and he says, hello! <laughs> we won't let him live that down ever. He can laugh about it now. But when you're busy and you're stressed, you don't always make the best decisions. And I just wanted to have a relationship with my friend. That's all I was doing. I wanted him to come out and play and enjoy life. I think God created us for humility, uh, for community. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, you read of all the things God did, and every time it says, and God said that it was good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, you see the first thing that God said was not good. You remember what it was? Adam was made, there was no helper suitable for, and God said that that was not good for man to be alone. God created us for community. He created us for relationship. That is within us. If we isolate ourselves and don't have deep, intimate relationships with one another, we're not living as full a life as God intended. Medical doctor Paul Roche R-O-S-C-H, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. He wrote an article that appeared in this magazine, Health and Stress, the newsletter of the American Institute of Stress. The article was titled, Social Support, the Supreme Stress Stopper. One of the examples, one of the studies that they did, they had 232 patients who underwent cardiac surgery, 
Sadly, 21 of those died within six months. Now, what they did in this study was that they named the two precursors, the two factors that were most common in these patients who died. You want to know what they were? A lack of participation in social or community groups. That was one. And the second one was the absence of strength and comfort from religion. So it had nothing to do with their heart, nothing to do with their physical body, nothing to do with the medical concerns. The two strongest factors for these people not surviving their cardiac surgery was this lack of relationship and lack of spirituality. So um, we, we've got a problem. An, another study showed, uh, just in passing, social isolation contributes to illness and death as much as smoking, they decided when they were doing these results. So we've got a problem. We're too busy for the type of social interaction we need. How does your day usually go? Think about it. I know, I remember, you know, we just sent our last daughter off to college. But when the kids were young, you know, you get up early, you rush off to work, you're trying to beat the traffic. But one of you is dropping the kids off at school. Uh, you show up on, uh, you know, then there's after school programs for the kids one way or the other, sports related. You show up late or maybe you don't show up at all to those after school programs. Then you finally get home. Everybody's getting home. Uh, but, you know, then there's food and there's showers and you, homework or more work for you. And then before you know it, it's late. You go to bed tired. You didn't get everything done. And you get up the very next morning and you do it all again. We, uh, we have a problem. Uh, this picture, there's a book, uh, Making Room for Life by Randy Frazee. Uh, and I hope you can see all this. So he, he, he calls it this relationship orbit picture. So you've got you. This is you. You've got work, school, hobbies, friends, church, sports, and children. These are all things that you do. These are all things that, you know, are involved in your life. But what, what happens when uh, your kids go to more than one school? What happens when you've got more than one hobby? What happens when you've got several friends? What happens when you're doing different things at church? What happens when your kids are involved in more than one sport, or you've got different kids involved in different sports at the same time. What happens when you've got more than one child? Your things that you're involved in just get bigger and bigger and busier and busier, and you're trying to get all of these things done all at the same time. This is what our, our life is. So I think what we have to think about is when is it too much? When do we choose to say no to some of these things? And then the real question is, what do we say no to? We agree, I think, for the most part, that we have a busyness problem here in our life and our culture in 2023. I don't know that we'll agree that we make changes that will bring a solution, but we'll We'll talk about that. Um, God didn't make a mistake when he chose a 24-hour day. The, the earth's revolution was not a mistake. So that's not the problem. We don't have enough time. That's not the problem. The problem is, are we trying to fill our day with too much? In general, American, 
America believes your value is determined by the things you accumulate, also by your productivity and opportunity. Those two things. It's, it's kind of comes down to materialism and then how productive you are. And we, our culture tells us the busier you are, the better. That, that means you're doing something good if you're working hard and, and busy all the time. Um, so what happens is we try to, we work hard, we, we bear ourselves in our work, or we try to be involved in every hobby, either us or our children, in everything that's available. And how much is available? That's one of my problems, is I like all kinds of sports, whether it's fishing and hunting, whether it's football, baseball, I, I, I like everything, you know. So what do I do and what do I choose not to do and where do I spend my time? Uh, I believe it's more biblical not to value um, materialism, individualism, the, necessarily the productivity. I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But 1 Corinthians 12, when it's talking about the gifts of the church, says that we need to value what, how we can serve others. So in which of these relationships, in which of these things that we fill our time with, is it serving others, and which of those is it more serving ourselves, me, what I want, what I desire. Ephesians chapter 5 that Daniel read us. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every, every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, before you think I'm taking this out of context... And so be careful how you live, and I'm talking about time, that, and he's not. Look back at verse uh, 3. It says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. So in Ephesians 5, verse 3, it says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. And I believe greed is one of the things that we have an issue with. Uh, verse 5, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is idolater, worshiping the things of this world. We've come to idolize material things. We've come to idolize entertainment, recreation, sports. And I, I love sports. Um, verse 6 says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins do we try to excuse these sins this idolatry this greed by the choices we are do we try to rationalize wait these things aren't bad and they're not and yet how do we prioritize those carefully determine verse 10 carefully determine what pleases the lord not what pleases steve Carefully determine what pleases the Lord, verse 10. Verse 19 says, it says to make music in your heart to the Lord. If you don't have time during your day to make music in your heart to the Lord, then we probably need to reprioritize some things. All right, so most all of us agree that we were created by God for relationship. Um, we may not prioritize it in that way. What do we, what do we do? Look at this picture of this sign. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. That's important. 
What you can't read, what's circled at the bottom, it says also the bridge is out ahead. (laughs) And I think sometimes that's how we live our life. You know, there's importance about sharp edges and be careful with that. And, you know, these. But sometimes the main thing, we're not making the main thing. And it just kind of restructures our life. This next slide, you've probably seen this example of the jar, the empty jar, and you've got sand and you've got pebbles or small rocks and you've got some larger rocks. You've probably heard of that. You know, it, how do you prioritize your life? What do you, if you fill that jar with the sand and the pebbles and then you try to get the big rocks in, you can look at the next slide. Uh, what happens is all the big rocks don't fit. They, they don't, you know, it fills up with sand and pebbles and then you start putting the rocks in and they won't all fit in there. But if you take those big, rock, big rocks, which represent the things that are most important in your life, if you put those in the jar first, and then you pour the sand and the pebbles in around it, it all does fit. It all fits. And so I think this is what we have to do. We, we have to do some self-reflection. We have to say, are my priorities the one that God the ones that God wants me to have. It'll all fit. It'll all work right. It'll all work great if I do that. But if I get some of them a little, some of the big ones less important, some of the less important ones more big, then it doesn't all fit. It doesn't all go well. We get too busy. We get stressed. And that becomes the issue. Look at Acts 2, 42. Patrick brought up this verse. All the believers devoted themselves to their job and career, their house just the way they want it, their kids' sports activities, and to their personal pleasure. Now, all the believers devoted themselves. They made it a priority to what? The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, that relationship with one another, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those were their priorities. And guess what? Look at verse 46 and 47. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And then verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. This, these priorities that God set up, that the early church devoted themselves to, it's not a picture of this unhappy, boring life. Sometimes we feel like, oh, no, if I do that, if I prioritize those, I'm going to miss out on so much. And, and we get FOMO. We fear of missing out. And, and we think, oh, that's not, you know, I want my life to be full. No, if you go after those other things, your life won't be full. You'll be busy and you'll be stressed. This picture of the church, of what God established, of the way God says do it, is a picture of joy. It's a picture of peace happiness favor with all the people serving others and doing this together this picture of the church that God established is what makes it all work if we put that first the Holy Spirit doesn't just produce a change in our thoughts and beliefs the Holy Spirit produces change in our in the way we live and it is for the better. Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 33 says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? 
These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Tim Chester wrote a book, The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness. And and notice that it's the busy Christian's guide to busyness. It's not just anybody. we, We suffer through this too. And he said that most people organize your life in this way. Lifestyle, job, home or house, church, and ministry. He said this is how most Christians organize our lives. And he's saying it's the wrong priorities. However we do this, if we don't put, if we put lifestyle job in our house before church and ministry, then we've got something out of whack. Most people, you know, decide what lifestyle they want to live, and then they choose the job and the salary that fits that, and then they choose the house that fits that, and then, let's see, what church is close, where do I want, and then maybe they get involved in a ministry, and maybe they don't. And what I want to say to us this morning is that our faith should be the controlling factor in our life put that first decide all that other stuff after because we're living for others and not for ourselves what's number one on your list i believe we've chosen this path this path i believe most of us have made the choice without realizing where it takes of us. Some of us have chosen this path. Some of us have just been swept up into it by our culture. Our culture tells us that we have to get as much done as we can, as fast as we can. That makes us happier. So if we have a spare minute, then we go, okay, what errands do I need to do? What, what on my list do I need to go? And then we you know, run to the store uh, and we drive as fast as we can to get these errands done. Because we're productivity, you know, is in our mind. And we get hit by a red light and we get frustrated at the red light, you know. And then we, what if we changed all that? What if when we chose to go run an errand or whatever, that we drive the speed limit? What if, (laughs) I'm guilty, guilty. What if we just slowed down a little bit and didn't get frustrated at the red lights? What if we actually talked to a person that were in the store whether it's the worker or whatever, and we have a you know, short 30-second conversation with them, 10-second conversation. What if we just greet them like they're human? You know, let's just start there. All of a sudden, our attitude changes. All of a sudden, our priorities are shifted. And it's not about me and getting all this stuff done as fast as we can. It's about, hey, this is life, and this is our priorities, and this is what we do. I will say that sometimes we misunderstand the being tired and being stressed because I will say that it feels good to go to bed physically tired. Busy day in ministry, busy day helping, serving someone else, you're tired, you go to bed. It feels good. Worked hard at your job. It feels good. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's, God says that's good. But when we go to bed mentally tired and stressed because our priorities and our attitude is not right, it's not good. And it affects the rest of our life and it affects our influence. 
It affects our relationships. So there's, there is a difference, you know, productivity is not all bad. I'm not saying that. But we have to be careful how we prioritize. And much of that comes from within us. What are we working toward? What are we working for? If it's that lifestyle and job and home stuff that, you know, if that's first, then it's, we're going to get messed up. But if it's to serve others, like 1 Corinthians 12 says, if it's, you know, to further the kingdom, if it's to serve one another, we're not going to go to bed stressed and mentally exhausted. We may go to bed tired, but that's okay. Um, if you think that you're handling your busy lifestyle just fine and you don't need to change anything, first-hand experience, you're probably not handling it as well as you think you are. It probably has some effect on your relationships at home, spouse or kids or co-workers. Look at Luke chapter 10. Uh, there are three stories in Luke chapter 10. I didn't, I, I wanted to take the time to read it, but I, it's too long. So, I mean, it's never too long, but for our time constraints in 2023, uh, you know, Paul preached till midnight, but we, I won't do that. Um, so Luke chapter 10, there's three stories. I'm just going to tell you the stories. You recognize most of them. All three of these stories are unique to Luke's gospel. They're not in any of the other gospels in this way. The big picture of Luke chapter 10, Jesus is illustrating his new kingdom, sending people out for, to advance the new kingdom, telling them, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then there's the story of the Good Samaritan, and then there's the story of Mary and Martha at the end. Let's look at those. The, the big picture, the message is the new kingdom and its message is available to everyone, and it does not matter your race or your gender. I believe that's the main message in these three stories in Luke chapter 10. But I'm going to give you some secondary applications that fit what we're talking about today. And they are this. Uh, verses 1 through 24, Jesus is sending out 72 others. In Luke chapter 9, he sent out the 12. Now, he sent out the 12 to go before him in these towns and villages around him because he's going to come through later. And he wants them to tell the people, hey, Jesus is coming through. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is about to. You need to listen to him. Then he sends out the 72 others. Some versions say 70, 70, 72, it really doesn't matter. He sent out a bunch more, right? It's not just full-time staff that he sends out. He sends out a bunch more people, and he says, this is your mission too. It takes all of us. The more, the merrier, we're better together. That's, that's one of the messages. And then he, and, he, and he wants everyone to accept this message because this is the last time Jesus is going to be traveling through. He's on his way back to Jerusalem, and he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, what's awaiting him? He's going to die on the cross. This is the last time he's going to be coming through. There is an urgency to the message of this new kingdom. 2,000 years later, that urgency is still there. There are people who are swept up in our culture and in our society who don't know Jesus. The urgency is still there. The second story, 25, verses 25 through 37, is the story of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, you, Jesus tells this story in response to a lawyer who asks him a question, uh, asks two questions, actually. The first question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
It's a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, what? Here's what's most important. Here's your priorities. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment, right? Everything hinges on these. Then the lawyer asks a follow-up question, and he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan to illustrate who is my neighbor. Now, um, we, we think that the, the expert in the law asked this second question to try and justify himself. It says that in Scripture. What does he mean? Well, maybe he's not loving everybody, and he, just, he wants to narrow it down so that he can feel better about himself. Who am I really loving, and who do I not have to love? Jesus turns that story around and he tells this story specifically, the characters exactly the way he meant, because he wants to challenge that. This expert in the law, there was actually a Jewish book uh, of wisdom written 100 or 200 years before Jesus came along called Sirach, S-I-R-A-C-H. This lawyer would have known that. And in that book, it's told to don't love a sinner. Don't have anything to do with a sinner. Jesus is turning that up on upside down and saying, no, that's not. It doesn't matter. You're supposed to love everyone. It doesn't matter who they are. So in the story, really quick, there's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's beaten up by robbers, left for dead, stripped naked, everything, you know. And the first person, the first traveler that comes along is a priest, and he does not stop to help. The second prep person that comes along is a Levite he's an assistant to the priest he's an assistant at the temple and he doesn't stop to help and the third person that comes along is this Samaritan who the Jews hated the Samaritan stops to help the Samaritan takes the time to bandage his wounds the Samaritan puts him on his donkey the Samaritan takes him to the hotel and pays for his care the story the application for us is be interruptible. Be interruptible. Don't be so busy, so on your schedule. I don't have time. I've got this and this and this to do. No, you be interruptible. In other words, sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your convenience. Ah, oh, it's traveling. It's a long road. Sacrifice your money. And do it even if there is risk or danger to you. Right? And how many times do we say, no, I can't help because... Be interruptible. And the third and last story is Mary and Martha, uh, verse 38 through 42. Uh, Jesus comes to visit. These sisters, they're good friends. Mary and Martha are both excited Mary goes into the kitchen and starts preparing meals, which she should do according to her custom and the, you know, what is needed and what is necessary. Be hospitable to your guests. Uh, that Martha does that. I don't know what I said. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to him teach, which was not acceptable really in their culture. That would be the men uh, that got to actually sit at the feet of Jesus like the scripture says. But for us, Maybe you've got something to do. Maybe even those things that are necessary that need to get done, maybe you need to adjust your schedule and be flexible when something else is more important. I think that's what Mary did. I think, you know, me, I, there's been times when I need to mow the lawn and my grass is getting high, and I'm like, oh, man, if I keep waiting, 
that it's going to be so hard to mow. But somebody's got a need. Somebody calls. Somebody is in the hospital. Somebody, what? You know, somebody, somebody more needy than me needs their yard mow. What do we need to do? We need to be flexible with our schedule and go serve and go serve others rather than say we can't because if I don't get this done, I don't have enough time to do everything I need to do. All right, so there's always a higher priority, I think. All right, so we're going to start wrapping this up. Uh, by way of application, the first thing I would like us to do is to think group. Don't think about yourself and your desires or what's best for you and your family. Think of other people. If you think about what's best for those around you, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what we have to do. The second application is be interruptible. Um, and, and the way that that happened with the Good Samaritan, I mean, sacrifice your money, sacrifice your time, sacrifice your convenience. Oh, but no, it'll just mess everything off. I've sacrificed that. Uh, third one, sacrifice your desires. What's the gift or commodity that we all have, that we all share? It's, it's time. And many times we've got something we want to do that we want to go enjoy or make ourselves happy with and that I mean you can do that and sometimes you should do that I play I, I'm not ta I don't have anything against playing I think you know when we taught when we had that class on the Sabbath in here it's play and pray that's kind of what the Sabbath is for but when somebody's in need or when somebody has Something they need, that, that's when we sacrifice our desires because we're thinking about the group, we're being interruptible, and we want to serve others rather than ourselves. And the last one, be flexible in your schedule. Like I said, uh, don't allow, you know, you thinking of what all you've got to get done and how it's going to mess that up to not go serve someone else when they're in need. That's the way God said you'll be happy. We have more time-saving devices than any time in history. And as a result, we live at warp speed, and we have less time to do things. We have more discretionary money than any people in history, although we usually have it spent before it comes in, and we still want more. For a long time, our culture has been preaching individualism and materialism. To put yourself first and to treat yourself. Take care of yourself. That's what we've been hearing that for decades. And now it's getting to such a, an important priority in our culture that it says you can't live a good life. You can't thrive unless you're doing this. Unless you're taking care of yourself. Unless you're putting yourself first and treating yourself. You won't be happy. You can't have a good life. You can't thrive in life unless you're doing this. It's a red flag. It's not the way God had set it up, and it's not what God says in Scripture. No, he says, think of others. What we've been hearing for decades is a lie. Makes sense to us sometimes, right? We feel it because we're too busy and we're too stressed, so we think, oh, yeah, this is what I need. No, it's a lie. There's a lot of lies. We've got to be careful. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this, Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. 
Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. That's our problem when we're trying to prioritize. The things that I mentioned, the things on the relationship orbit stuff, none of them are wrong. Sports, hobbies, friends, none of that stuff is wrong. But we've got to discern right and almost right. We've got to discern which one is top priority. And Scripture is clear when it tells us that. I'm going to invite the praise team back up. God has a built-in solution for our relationship orbit problem and for our busyness and our unhappiness and our stress. God has a built-in solution for it. It's the church. It's the place where we can serve one another, love one another, live our lives full of joy. Why? Because of our spirituality, our thankfulness to God and what Jesus Christ has done for us, and because then we can encourage one another and serve one another it changes your whole life when you put those things first it doesn't mean that we never get tired or that we never get busy it does mean that we're thinking of others sacrificing for others and our children grow up doing the same people are most important and they are more interesting than things so what I want you to do is invest in relationships Invest in the Lord's church. Make those things your priorities. Make, make the people in this room your priorities and your neighbors who aren't in this room. You make that your priority and your life will be happy. God says so, not me.